Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we will be continuing our Christmas devotionals, going through David Mathis's Christmas devotional book, The Christmas We Didn't Expect. If you haven't already, you can join us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning. Hello there. Um, Welcome. Uh, We've been looking at uh, the book by David Matisse, Um, entitled The Unexpected Christmas. And today's devotional um, is uh, entitled How God Became a Man. And he looked at two verses in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 verse 40, which tells us that uh, Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And again, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 52, it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. And David Matisse kind of explores the fact that this is significant because what we have here is Jesus as a human being growing, learning, going through all the things that we have to go through as humans to grow and mature. So, for example, he says, uh, the fact that Jesus had to grow has something to say to us about the dignity of ordinary human life and labor and the sanctity of slow, incremental growth and maturation. God could have sent a fully grown Christ. Not only that, but from the beginning, he could have created a world of static existence, a world without infants, without children, without awkward teens. But instead, we find that Jesus has to go through all of those things as a human being. And so David Matisse says, through sustained effort and hard work, he came into mental acumen and emotional intelligence that he did not possess as a child. His human mind and heart developed through the painful steps of regular progress. He matured mentally and emotionally just as he grew physically. He learnt through the scriptures, through his mother, through the community. By the power of the Spirit, he grew in understanding and in learning. So Jesus didn't just get born and there was this instant sort of download, like in the Matrix movie, where suddenly he's just downloaded with all this information. Neither was he a natural-born genius who understood calculus whilst in the cradle. Now, as God, of course, he did. But as a human, as to his human nature, he was ignorant and he had to learn. Now, I know that at this point you're going to sort of say, yeah, but hang on, this is confusing because surely Jesus is God. And of course, the answer is yes, he is fully God, but he is also fully man. And so we see him in his ignorance his need to learn and to grow in his emotional life, in his getting hungry, in his getting tired, in very many various ways, we see him operating as a man. Now, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? I mean, we read in Isaiah chapter 40, for example, it says there, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. 
so God will not grow weary or tired. His understanding no one can fathom, and yet we find Jesus in John chapter 4 sitting down because he's tired, next to a well, because he's thirsty, and needing sustenance, and needing rest. Jesus operating as a man, though God knows everything, yet as a man, Jesus was tired, was hungry, he had emotions, and so on. And so we read actually in John, of course, back in chapter one of John, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's where the word incarnation comes from. We think of carne, we think of meat, enfleshed. He became enfleshed. He took on flesh. The confession of Chalcedon, which settled this issue uh, back in uh, the uh, fourth century, I think it was, the Chalcedon definition gives us this. It says this, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach people to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, but without sin begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to, the, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Jesus, fully man. Now, this is ever so important, of course, that we understand this. Now, when I say understand it, it doesn't mean that we necessarily do understand how exactly this operates, that Jesus is one person, but two natures, that he is God and man, the God-man. We're never going to understand how exactly that works. When people have tried to understand it and philosophize about how it works, they've ended up in heresy, as we'll see in a minute. But we do need to affirm these truths and we need to take the sustenance from these truths that will help us in our lives, that Jesus is fully human. Of course, it tells us, doesn't it, in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 6 to 8, that our attitude should be the same as Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He was found in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. Now, there are those who might read that and say, yeah, he appeared to be a man. He, he, he looked like a man. He was in human likeness, but he wasn't really human. He was kind of, as the carol puts it, veiled in flesh, but not really fully human, just kind of pretending to be human. But that's not what Philippians chapter 2 is saying. Philippians 2 is saying, look, when you look at Jesus you see in every way that he is human. When you look at him, there is nothing that would make you think that he is not a fully fledged human being. And that's because he is a human being. He looks like a human. He acts like a human because he is a human. And so that, that word veiled in flesh actually means the same thing. It's a perfectly good carol, of course, 
Um, but the, the, the heresy that came in the early centuries was called docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And it means that Jesus seemed to be a man, but he wasn't really. He couldn't possibly be a man because God couldn't possibly dirty himself like that and humiliate himself to the extent that he would become ignorant and become a man like us, frail and weak and emotional. And so they, um, they, they said, no, no, docetism, it means that he seemed like a man, but he wasn't really a man. But of course, as we've seen in the Chalcedon definition that I read to you, no, he was fully man in every way, a human just like us. There was another heresy that was doing the rounds at the time, uh, and it was called Apollinarianism. And uh, this came about from a guy called Apollinarius, who was the bishop of Laodicea, and uh, started out as a good egg and actually was defending the deity of Christ. But in doing so, he ended up in deep waters because Apollinarius uh, did something that we shouldn't try to do. This is what Hart says. Hart says this, how it was done, we can't discuss, but this we know twas done for us. Okay, so we know it was done for us, fully God, fully man. How it was done, we can't discuss, but this we know twas done for us. But Apollinarius made the mistake of trying to explain how it was done. And so what he said was this, that Jesus took our body, but his mind and his soul was divine. He didn't have a human mind, human emotions, a human, higher human uh, element, uh, that the higher part of his self was, was, was God. So, so what he did was that the highest element in man was actually the nature of God. And so he didn't have human mind, human emotions, the human soul. And so Apollinarius effectively denied that the seat of rational thought in our saviour is truly human. He compromised Jesus' true humanity by denying that he possesses a human mind or a human soul. But of course, there's big problems with that. And as one person put it in the early church, Gregory said this, he says, what he has not assumed cannot be redeemed, or what he has not assumed cannot be healed. In other words, this is really important for our salvation. You see, an animal cannot save us. Why can an animal not save us? Because an animal is not human. And Jesus can only heal that which he became. He can only redeem that which he assumed. And he assumed full human nature so that he could redeem every aspect of our human nature. And so I love what it says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. By the way, the Nicene Creed, of course, says this, that it was for, our, for our, us men and for our salvation that Jesus became man. For our salvation, he became one of us. In Hebrews chapter two, it tells us this, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so he he, he, he became like us in every way. 
I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 as well, that as a high priest, Jesus is able to fully sympathize with us because, of course, he was tempted in every way, just like us. And then also in Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, verse 7 to 8, it talks about how Jesus, with loud cries and petitions, was heard because of his reverential submission to God. Uh, and, and it talks about that human aspect of Jesus. Uh, in, I found it now, Hebrews 5 verse 7, that um, he, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience. Jesus grew and, and, and demonstrated obedience in every way. And so this is a profound truth. I hope that you will agree. I mean, I tell you what, I spent yesterday, in fact, I've enjoyed this Christmas, this Advent. Yesterday, I spent ages just reading, soaking, listening around this subject. And, you know, there is just no religion that can possibly get anywhere near close to what Christianity gets to when we get God becoming a man, becoming one of us. And I'll just signpost you to a couple of brilliant articles, which if you've got the time, you're welcome to follow through on. I might even post the links to you if you like. Uh, put them in the show notes. How about that? I've always wanted to say that. Um, but one of them is by Warfield, B.B. Warfield, who talks about, who's, who wrote an article called The Emotional Life of Our Lord Jesus. The Emotional Life of Our Lord it's a profound article. It takes a little bit of time to read it. Um, but he talks there about how Jesus, for example, sighed from the bottom of his heart, how he groaned, how he was filled with compassion, how he was filled with fury and anger at sin and at wrong, how he got irritated, how he got annoyed, how he, he uh, rebuked people in anger, uh, how also he was filled with an explosive joy and so on. And so we find this emotional life of our Lord. Emotions are fine. Emotions are good. They're human. Jesus had them. In fact, he had a very active emotional life. The only thing, of course, about him was that he never sinned in his emotions. And of course, what we do is that we allow our emotions to take over. So the red mist comes and we sin, or our emotions take over and we end up doing things that are wrong because we let our emotions rule us. Jesus was never ruled by his emotions, but his emotions were a real thing and was observable by those around him. And one other thing I'd love to just point you to, and it's a most beautiful article. Uh, I tell you, you should read it and I will post it for you. There's an abridged version by Reverend Biggs, which is brilliant. And it's by Jonathan Edwards and it's called The Excellencies of Christ. The Excellencies of Christ by Jonathan Edwards, who talks about the both the infinite glory and majesty of Jesus, the lion, but also the incredible humility and meekness of Jesus, the Lamb. And, and we find in him these two things coming together so sweetly and beautifully, the humility of Jesus, 
that he was willing to submit himself to human existence and human life. I may follow up on that a little bit more next week. Time has run out, but we've covered quite a lot of stuff today. Uh, but uh, let's pray together. Lord, we do ask you that you would help us today to uh, know that you fully identify with us as a human being in every way you sympathize with us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that that just as you identified with this, so I, we would identify with you, that we would in every way become like you, the perfect man, that we would become more and more like you in control of our emotions, living a godly life, living as full humans, but living for you as you did, Lord. And so we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.